Good morning. How is everyone doing? Doing well? Yeah? A little warm? Yeah, yeah. Don't worry. We're, we're trying to work on it. We'll see what happens. The Lord's here, you know. Um, and I won't go too long. I'll just let you know. That, that way we'll be doing that. Uh, I've had a great weekend. I don't know about you. It's been fun and eventful. I uh, got to work on a car that uh, we've been wanting to work on for a while, so it was good. And uh, just really some things in my life that have been able to really help solidify what I'm going to be talking about today, and that is uh, my life verse. Now, I love the fact that Doug brought up this this sermon series where he gets each and every different people on here on stage to let you know what our life verses are. And so I know that not everybody has one, so feel free to steal mine because it's the best. Um, I'm just joking. But it is important, I think, for us to have some life verses, these verses that we can hold into our heart that can really just, we can run back to over and over and over again that really give us the momentum that we need and the confidence that we need to, de- to be God and to be the Lord to other people as well. And so I am so excited to be sharing the story with you or the, my message with you this today. But I do, like always, want to start with a story. But before we get into my story, we're going to be in Romans chapter 8. So if you have your Bibles and you're old school like me, go ahead and open them up. If you are new school and you've got them on your phone, go ahead and open up that app. Close all your other gaming apps and open that. And you can close any of your social media apps as well. You don't need those right now. Um, But go ahead and open that. Romans 8, and we're going to be looking right around uh, 31 is where we're going to be sitting. But as you're turning to that, I'd like to tell you a story. Several years ago, I was leading a small group with this other leader. His name was Anthony, and it was a small group of high school boys. I was in college. Anthony was a grown man. He was married. He had a five-year-old son named Kyle. We asked our, our kids, what do you guys want to do? Like, what is something the small group that you guys want to do together that maybe something you could bring your friends to? And they're like, Let's do paintball. I'm like, sweet. I love paintball. I get to shoot high school kids with paintballs. Awesome. We'll do that. So we got together, and we're like, yeah, okay. Well, one of the kids, his parents actually owned, um, I don't know if you remember, off 154 here, there was a barn that had Ralph's Ranch on it. Do you guys remember that? Right out here, there's a white one that said Ralph's Ranch. He owned that property, and, and he said, hey, I got a place in Campbell County that we can go out that uh, and spend like a Friday night and a Saturday, and we can play paintball. Okay, that'd be awesome. So they brought, brought friends over. So Kyle came, or so Anthony came, and he brought his five-year-old son with him named Kyle. And so it was really cool. We had a good time. We had a fun that night. And since it was that night, we didn't play Friday night. So we were going to wake up early and play paintball first thing in the morning, Saturday morning. So had a good night, fell asleep, woke up. We woke up, and it was like eerie foggy, like eerily foggy out, right? And I'm like, oh, this is going to be so cool. Right, like we're gonna be like, like it's like like movies, you know, like hunting around each other. So we all pack our stuff up. We start making our way into the woods, and we found this like little central area that we could call like base camp. So when the games were done, we would come back and reload and everything. And so, so Anthony brings his five-year-old son Kyle, and he brings him down, and we're all sitting up there, and there's this stump. And he's like, "All right, now Kyle." And Kyle got to shoot the gun some, which he thought was fun. He was shooting some stuff. He's like, "All right, Kyle, we're gonna go in there and we're gonna play a game, and after we come back." We're going to come back here. All right, you're going to be fine. He's like, okay, Dad. So he sat him on the stump, you know, and he, he's like, we're going to put a, uh, a mask on you just in case of a stray paintball doesn't hit a five-year-old in the face, right? You know, because that's child protective sur- services if that happens. And so we, we put that on him. We got him all up, and we went off, right? 
Mind you, if you are a young father, don't do this. Just don't. Just don't, don't do this. So we went off and we're playing and this and that. And about 10 minutes goes by and we've had a little skirmishes here and there. But it is thick, thick fog, right? And I'm, I'm going around, going around. And I'm all sneaky. A lot skinnier than now. You know, like all sneaking around. And I hear something like over there. I'm like, oh, that's kind of weird sound. So I start working my way, way over, working my way over. I was like, oh, it's got to be someone that's going to like trying to jump me, so I'm getting over, and like I pop out, and I pop out, and it is, it is Kyle, the five-year-old, crying, he's dragging a paintball gun behind him, you know, he's got the mask on, like half over his face, he couldn't see, and I'm like, Anthony, we're like, oh yeah, we come over here, and he's like, he's so upset, and so mad, and every mom in here is right now, saying like, yeah, I know my husband would have done the same thing, right, yeah, we sit him down, we're like, okay, okay, are you, you're all right, you're all right, and he's just doing this time of crying, you know, over and over again, we get him to calm down and everything else, and, and Anthony's like, uh, I really didn't think this through, I'm like, no, no, you didn't, I took notes from not what not to do in this situation, and, um, and so he ended up just like hanging out with, with Anthony the rest of the time, but when we look back at that, when I look at that situation, and when I put myself in Kyle's perspective, I'm terrified to be sat on a log with all this fogginess, and then your dad gives you a gun, puts a mask, which you can't really see out of, and says, stay here, son, till we come back, and then he just hears shooting going on. Like, what did we think, right? <laughs> like, and I think what scared him the most was that he was separated from us. He was away from us. And because he was away from us, he had no confidence. And see, when we talk about life verses, they should be something that build confidence within us through our Lord. You need to have that confidence. And so for me, this verse, this, this section of, of Scripture here is really what gives me my confidence. And I'm hoping that it will bless you and give you as well. So let's read it together. Romans 8, 31 through 39. What then shall we say to, in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, uh, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is, is also an inter intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That verse rejuvenates me every time I read it. Because the reality is, oftentimes I forget that truth, that our God 
is with us, that our God is for us. And that brings me to my first uh, key truth that we need to understand from this scripture is this. God is with you and God is for you. Many of you right now are thinking, yeah, Jimmy, I know. I figured that out in first grade. Great. I know you know that now. But in three days from now, when that email from your boss comes down and you messed up and you're feeling terrible and you're feeling awful and you, you start to go into feeling comfort from other things other than God, let me tell you something. You don't remember that he's with you. You don't remember that he's for you. The truth is we have to build that into the DNA of our brains and our lives and how we speak and how we talk and how we act. To understand this truth is foundational. If we forget it, we are in trouble. We have to know that he is with us and that he is for us. He wants to see you succeed. God is not a big bully that's sitting there like, ha-ha, I made a mess up, ha-ha, I set things so hard for them they couldn't achieve it, ha-ha. He doesn't do that, no. He wants to see us do great things. And when he, we fall, he wants to be there to be holding us. He wants us to rely on him. It's a basic truth that we must understand. In your life, if you don't hold to your basic truths, you are set up for trouble. If a mechanic cannot remember that righty-tighty and lefty-loosey is a basic truth, you might be driving around with wheels that may be falling off or oil that may not stay in your car. Now, there are those weird, like, strange bolts that left is loosey and righty. They're, they're, I'll tell you a story about that one later. Not today, but some other time. But we got to understand basic truths, and we have to go back to those basics over and over and over again. Two plus two is four, right? We understand that. If we say two plus two is six, guess what? You're not going to be doing very well in this world, right? We have to understand this basic truth. God is with you. God is for you. But when we don't understand that truth, we lose our confidence in Christ. And so here are some reasons why we don't have confidence in Christ anymore. First thing is this. We buy into the lie that anything bad, uh, anything bad happens in our life, it has to be somebody, God's, else's fault. We buy into this lie that no matter what happens in this world, it's got to be somebody else's fault, not mine. It's, it can't be my fault. Now, I'll, I'll say this. My parents did a good job letting me know when I was wrong, okay? I'm just saying that. Like, I had other friends whose parents were like, my baby is never wrong. How dare you accuse him of doing that, right? And you guys know that, right? You guys have some of that friends. Some of you are those people. That's okay. We love you. You know, we just need to have you come to this side. Look, there's this thing called pride in that situation. And my parents told me I don't have the pride because I am wrong. And that's okay. That's a good thing. It's a good thing to be able to understand when you've messed up and to not push that blame on someone else, to own it. But see, Satan gets in our minds, and he likes us to justify all of our wrongs, all of our disobediences, and to not put it on ourselves, but to put it on other people. We can't do that. See, God loves us, and he's here to forgive us. 
I've talked, I've ran into people in my life that, that literally have told me this over and again, Jimmy, if, if you knew and if God really knew what I've done in my life, there's no way he could forgive me. What a lie they have bought into, right? Our God loves to forgive us. He wants us to be whole. He wants us to walk again. I love that verse 31. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Understand that. If God is for us, who's going to be against us? Yeah, there's going to be people that try, but guess what? Our God is better. Our God gives us the power to push through and to push on. But we have to choose that. We have to choose to understand that, yes, we have to take ownership when we're not right. We have to take ownership in saying, I need to fix myself, and I need to try to fix myself by relying on the one who can truly fix us. The second thing is this. Our sin blinds us from the presence of God. When you have sin in your life, especially something that you keep going back and back to and back to and whatever that is, it's like you are blocking off your vision to Christ. It's like you're putting a veil over your face. And if you just keep going back to it, it's like you're thickening that veil and thickening that veil. And the next thing you know is that you don't really see God the way he's supposed to be seen. And when you see God in a wrong way, you're going to be losing your confidence in him, and you're going to be running from him instead of running to him. And we have to learn to take that off, to, to open ourselves, to, to, to let ourselves see the presence of God, to figure out what's going on in our lives, to not let that blind us anymore, to seek Jesus every single day. And part of that starts with having that personal relationship your personal study with Christ every single day, not just on weekends, not just here on Sundays or in your small group. It's something you have to feed yourself every single day. We can't be blind of the presence of God. We should take note. It's funny, we don't really take notes. We don't jot. There's some people that journal like crazy. I love you all. You guys are awesome. The rest of us, we don't do that, do we? And it's so easy to forget the times where God is really present in our lives. I love the fact that when I was at CIY a couple weeks ago, the kids, I just challenged them, hey, I just want you to write down some things that people, what they said, if you agreed with it or disagreed with it. And these kids were writing, filling up their notebooks of what people said and everything else. And it's like, they will have those thoughts for the rest of their life that they can go back to. Why do I know that? Because I still have mine from 1998 that I pull open and read. We need to do that when God is moving in our lives. We need to walk, write, write that stuff down so that way we can remember it. Number three, the third thing that makes us lose confidence, Christ, is we are more focused on happiness versus joy. Get it? Happiness versus joy. And I put the big J there. I know I'm not supposed to, but I put it there because I want us to think about God's joy. Real joy. Happiness, I hate to tell you this, it's almost like a drug. You chase after it over and over and over again, and then when you get it, it gives you a little bit of high, but it's not lasting. And that's a whole sermon within itself. But we have to stop running after what makes us happy and start building into the joy. 
In the book of Nehemiah, Ezra has brought uh, the Israelites back out of captivity. They've rebuilt the wall in Jerusalem. And he brings out the book of the law, and they've read it out loud for the first time forever. And as they're reading it, the people are getting cut to their heart because of things they weren't doing right and everything else. And he says, for the joy of the Lord is our strength. For the joy of the Lord is our strength. So don't be mourning anymore. Let's celebrate in joy. Yes, we may mess up, but let's have joy in God's victory. Let's move beyond our mistakes. Your mistakes do not define you, and they don't own you, because God has taken them to that cross. We have to be focused on joy, not happiness. And if you focus on joy, your happiness you experience will be even better. But if you're only focused on happiness, you're like a little kid chasing after a balloon that's going up in the air. You're not looking at anything else but it, and it's going to keep going away from you. We all love our toys, right? Guys, come on. Anytime we go to Home Depot, right? Maybe you're on Facebook Marketplace looking at a new motorcycle or car or camper. You, get the, you can get those toys, and they're really great, and then after the shine wears off, there's another toy you want. See, joy is with us longer than that. Fourth thing is this. We put more faith in our physical world than we do in our spiritual world. Let's, let's, let's really think about that. We put more faith in the things that we have here than what we should be focusing on that's going to last for eternity. We put a lot of faith in our vehicles, don't we? And when they break down, it's not a good day. It's a real bad day. It wrecks our whole entire lives, right? But the reality is all that is going to rust and fall apart. I know. Buddy and I worked on a 1924 Model T this weekend. You ever try to take apart an engine for the 1924 Ford Model T, that's 99 years old. There was rust upon rust upon rust inside that engine block. We kept sucking it out and blowing it out and moving it around. Everything we have here, all this stuff will be destroyed one day. So we don't need to be investing fully into this. We need to be investing into God. And we need to understand that God gives us weapons and things that we could never do on our own. Look at this, I love it in... Uh, the story of David and Goliath, 1 Samuel chapter 17, if you guys want to open to that. If you guys don't know the story, David is a young boy, he becomes King David, but at the time he's there, he's a shepherd boy, and his, the, the Israelites are going against the Philistines, the rivals, and the Philistines had this champion, his name was Goliath. Goliath was three cubits high, which was about nine foot, nine inches, a little bit higher than that. So think about Shaq with a person on top of him. That's this guy. And what they would do in the ancient times, in ancient Near East, instead of having full-out army battles all the time because it led to a lot of casualties, sometimes they would, each one would send out a champion, you know, a, a best fighter, and they'd fight. And whoever won that fight, that side would win. That way, you know, not too many people died and you could live another day, Right? So for a long time, Goliath's out there, he's making fun of the Israelites, making fun of God, our God. And so David comes running out with some lunch to bring to his brother. His older brother's like, what are you doing here? What, you're, you're, you're in the way, you're just coming out here to watch a fight. You need to go home. He's like, no, I brought you food. Why is this jerk face here calling out and making fun of our Lord? And why are you guys hiding? You know our God is bigger than that. And he's like, get out of here. You don't want it. He's like, no, somebody has to stand up to this guy. So word gets her out of the camp back to King Saul that there's this young shepherd boy, David, that wants to fight this Goliath. 
And he's like, okay, bring this kid to me. And so he's like, why do you think you can find him? He's like, well, I have been a shepherd boy. I have kept my sheep safe from bears and lions, and this is just a dude. It's not a bear or a lion. It doesn't have claws or bite. You know, I can take care of them. Why aren't you taking care of him? And he's like, well, if you want to do it, go right ahead. And this is what kills me. So, so Saul's idea to prepare David for this battle is to give him his stuff. He says this in verse 38. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put on a coat of armor on him and, his, and bronze helmet on his head. David fastened his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I am not used to them. So he took them off. Then he took his staff in his hand and he chose five small stones from a stream, put them in his pouch of the shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, he approached the Philistine. I always picture it like this. You got to understand, Saul, King Saul, was like the tallest of all the Israelites. So you got this like 13-year-old kid Wearing this grown man stuff. You know, like, like, it's like when my kids try to put on my shoes and walk around. It's just clumsy and weird and gross. This is the epitome of le- living in the world and using the world stuff when we just need to lean on God more. So David took it off, took five stones, put them in, and you guys should know this. He comes out, Philistine's like, what am I, a dog that you send this little guy after me? What, what are you going to do? And so... David says, you know, today I'm going to slay you. He actually says this. This is the day the Lord, he he says this in verse 46. This day the Lord will hand you over to me. I will strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give your carcass to the Philistine army, to the birds of the air, and to the beasts of the earth. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those who gather here will know that it is not by sword nor by spear uh, that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's and he will give all of you into our hands. And so as the Philistine heard that, he got mad, moved closer. David takes that sling, lets it go. God gods that rock, hits him right in the head. It says it sunk into his head, broke his skull, killed him immediately. David runs over, takes his sword and chops off Goliath's head. And this is a Bible story we teach our children. Um, And it's a good one. And it's a good thing that we should read this over and over again because the reality is we need to understand that we need to put more faith in what God can do through us than what we can do with the worldly things. Don't be like, don't be like Saul trying to put your stuff on other people. Put Jesus on others. You need to put Jesus on yourself. My second key truth we need to understand from our scripture is this. God's love is different than our love, Right? God's love is bigger and better than our love. Verse 35, who shall separate us from the love of Jesus Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? That love there, that first part says for what shall separate us from the love, that is the term agape. Now there are four different types of uh, words for love in the Greek uh, language. You've got agape, eros, eros is like a romantic. You've got brotherly love and then you've got this other one that's also like a, a nice like friendly love, right? And so this word right here is this agape love. And so some of you guys who have been through church or grew up in church, you probably have heard sermons on this agape love before. Some of you maybe not. I can tell you this, up until a couple years ago, I knew agape love as most people do. It is God's love that is self-sacrificing and will do nothing short of of breaking the world to save you, right? Because that's what Jesus did. He broke his body. He ended his life to save us. 
And then one day, I was talking to a mentor of mine, David Rokup, and he, he said, yes, Jimmy, it is all those things. It is a pursuing love. It is a love that never fails. And honestly, when we think about agape, I always get these really, really great positive feelings about it, which is good. But he says this, agape love is more than that. He says, agape love is a love that will risk everything, including their relationship, to make sure someone is safe and right with God. And when he told me that, it makes me realize when I am being called into accountability for my wrongs, that is agape love. When God is going beyond just hugging me, but he's correcting me and showing me that's true love. As a parent, I understand that more and more each day. A parent of a uh, 18 month old that I am, so Winnie likes to do everything, and she's our first climber. Anyone here have climber kids? Yeah, that's a whole nother level of stress. So she goes and tries to grab stuff, and we're like, no, you can't have that. She's like, Rah! right? We smack her hand. No, not too hard. We're like, she's like, Rah! she doesn't want us to correct her. She wants to get her way. And some people could look at that and be like, oh, you're just being mean to her. You know, you just let her have whatever she wants. No, I have agape love for her. I know more than her, I know better than her, and what she wants will harm her. God has that same love to you and me. That's why when you mess up and sometimes you get caught, I think God has a hand in you getting caught. Because he wants us to spend eternity with him. That is a love that is lasting. That is a love that is true, that is willing to risk to gain more. C.S. Lewis wrote this, love is something more stern and splendid than mere kindness. And too often in our world, we think that love is just being kind to people. It's more stern than that. It's deeper than that. I came across this story of Corrie ten Bloom. Her and her uh, sister were in a Nazi death camp uh, called Ravensbrück. Uh, they would have roll call at 4.30 in the morning, and most mornings were very cold. Sometimes the women would, be, women would be forced to stand without moving for hours in bone-chilling, pre-darn darkness. Nearby, they would see the punishment barracks, and all day long and night, they would hear just cruelty and screams of just torture and beatings, blows landing like regular rhythm. But Corey and her sister, Betsy, had a Bible. And at every opportunity, they would gather women together like orphans around a blazing fire. And they would read Romans 8. They'd read this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trub or or <laughs> tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? And all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And he would, she would later to say this. I would look about us as Betsy read, watching the light leap from face to face, more than conquerors was not a wish, it was a fact. We knew it, we experienced it every minute by minute and every widening circle of help and hope. At life, life at Ravenbrook took, uh, pl or took place on at two separate levels. One, the observable, external life every, uh, grew every day more hor horrible. The other, a life lived with God, grew better every single day. Truth upon truth, 
and glory upon glory. This scripture gave them the strength to get through that time. That God is for us. He wants us. He wants to move us. And his love is stronger than anything else that we can experience. And that really brings me to my last point is this. God's love is more powerful than any sin or obstacle you have in your life. Anything in your way, in your life, God's love is way more powerful. Verse 37 says this, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, nor either past nor future, nor any powers, neither height nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that it is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I don't care what your past is. I don't care the things that you've done. God's love is bigger than that. It's greater than that. It will rewrite your history. It will set you on a new path. We have to understand that. We need to accept that. And we need to have confidence in that. Or else we're going to be lost. A couple weeks ago at CIY Move, they were actually, the, the CIY was able to partner with Barna Studies. And Barna does a lot of um, studying through generations, but also do like um, throughout the world, not just America, but the world and uh, um, surveying through like what cultural is doing and also like how open they are to uh, religion and everything else. And all the information they're getting back on Gen Z is really great. It's really positive. Actually, they said that uh, Gen Z is the most open to religion and Christianity than any other generation. Is that amazing? I think it is. Let's give that a round of applause. I, I think it's something that we need to hold on to, but we also something that it's an opportunity for us to push truth into their lives. Because it's as open as they are, they're not being guided well because I'll tell you this, here are some of the other facts they said. 50% of church-going kids believe that they need to accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior of their life. 50%. I was hoping it'd be a little higher than that. But this one's even more shocking. Only 25% believe that they need to get baptized. That's telling me that truth, real truth, Scripture truth is not being taught the way it should. And that love is being passed off by kindness. And so to call someone into accountability or when someone says, I don't think you need to believe that, say, no, let's, let's look at the truth and let's see what, what we come together with. We have to be looking to show God's love to everyone. Either through our actions or, what through, or through what we read. But we, you yourself need to have confidence in God's love. It's hard for you to show somebody else God's love when you don't really understand it for yourself. That's called the blind leading the blind, right? It's not a good situation. So here are just a couple things that will help you have confidence in God's love. First, acknowledge it when you see it. When you see God's love happening, you need to acknowledge it. When you see answered prayers, you need to acknowledge it. Like I said before, jot it down, write it down, put it in a notebook. I don't know, put it in your notes for your phone and send it up to the cloud. Hopefully it will come back down. Mine don't always do that. 
But begin keeping records of that. This, the other night, when Buddy and I started working on the Model T, before we started opening up and taking the head off this engine and taking the radiator off and everything, I said a simple prayer. Lord, let us be able to do this for your glory. Let it go easy and let it be wonderful. It'll be awesome, right? And said that, amen, not in those exact words, but something close to it. And I'll tell you this, it came apart just fine. An engine that's been together for at least 99 years, I'm sure it's been opened before. No broken bolt, nothing we had to work on. It just came across, came open. Now, did we have to use some air tools a little bit? Yeah. But it was smooth, it was wonderful. And that night when we went to, went to pray, just God laid it back on my heart to give him thanks for that. He answered my prayer. It was a simple prayer, but he answered it. And so we want to acknowledge him when that happens. You need to acknowledge God when he's done great things for you because if you don't, that means you're not paying attention and you won't remember how good God is. But that leads me to my second point. You need to share the love of God with others. And I'll tell you this, I'm sharing that story with you as a way of showing God's love for others. I want you to be able to take mental notes of the good things God's doing in your life and not just keep it for your own, but share it. Use it as good news. Use it as a conversation starters. We have to be able to share God's love and we have to be able to pour it out onto others. If not, we're just a full pitcher sitting in the corner. Now God has built us and designed us for us to pour his love into everybody else. And when we go back to get refilled with God's love, we'll understand it more and more and truer and truer. And the last thing we need to do is to fill our life with it. Fill our life with the love of God. And you do that by spending time with him. In your daily devotion time. If you don't have one, you need to start one. Because I'm telling you, if you're just living your life on the scraps of Christianity you get from us each weekend, you're going to be starving through the week. You need to live on the daily bread of God, which is your Bible. You need to surround yourself with people who are going to breathe the love of God into you. You need to separate yourself from some of those people who are going to suck every energy out of you. You need to lean into God more than you lean into any other thing in your life, including your phones, your social media, and any other app that might be, or TV show you might want to watch. God's love is a special love, and he gave it all for you. So I just want to wrap by reading those last two verses real quick together. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any power, neither height nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. If you have never experienced that love, we'd like to offer that to you. This past year, we've been extremely blessed, and the Spirit is moving. We've had over 20 baptisms this year. 20 baptisms. 20 people who said yes to God are starting to move on in their, their Christian walk, and we are pouring into them. So today, if, if, if God is speaking to you, I am urging you, do not hesitate any longer. Start saying yes to him. Because he already said yes to you. Let's pray. 
Father God, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for the love and the guidance and the strength that you give us. Lord, I ask that you protect us as we go. Lord, let us be able to see your glory in every single moment. Let's bid our lives around you. Let us do our best to show your love, that true love, that agape love to everyone that we're around, everyone we encounter. Let us be great at giving truth and love together. And Lord, let us just be able to make you smile with how we live. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.